Good morning, everybody. I see a lot of people are dressed to go head over to Nathan's Kohashi's house after, so I'll make it a short sermon. Actually, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't get your hopes up. Okay. okay. Good morning, everybody. And um, we're continuing in our sermon series at the table, God's Hosting, You're Invited. And each week, we are looking at how God extends hospitality to people and in growing and actively being in relationship with him, he encourages us, he equips us, and he empowers us to do the same for others, particularly those that we wouldn't normally host at our tables if it were up to us. And last week we had Jensen Kalua, who you had us listening, Jensen, and you had us laughing, and you had us crying and even rooting for the Broncos as he talked. <laughs> as he talked about how Rahab and how God can use who you would least expect to do brave and amazing acts in faith. I encourage you to listen if you missed it, because it was an outstanding sermon. So thank you for that, Jensen. In Rahab's case, a woman, a lowly innkeeper, likely a prostitute, bravely risked her life to hide Joshua's spies, and her actions contributed to the Israelites winning the Battle of Jericho. Rahab's hospitality would be blessed, and later she would have a son named Boaz, who happens to be a key figure of our sermon today. This morning, we are at the table of Hesed, a table of divine hospitality, where God's mercy and his kindness overflows to those who are strangers in need. Before we delve into Ruth chapter 2, I want to look at the three key people in this book. And I know a lot of you are very familiar with this story, but I promise you, I think every time I go through this book, there's always something different. There's always a different angle or something new to be gleaned from it. So it's been a season of famine on so many levels, a season of emptiness and loss. And we have Ruth, who is a Moabite woman, also a foreigner now to this town of Bethlehem where the scene takes place. Ruth is also a widow but quite resourceful, I'd say, and resilient and faithful. And then there's Naomi, mother-in-law of Ruth and Orpah, who is mourning the loss of her husband, as well as her two sons, who were married to her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. She's lost three of the most important people in her life, and it's fair to say her hope in God. Naomi has returned to Bethlehem and instructed her daughters on the way to go, return to their family, start a new life. They're young still, right? Ruth herself, she says, I'm bitter and I'm broken. While Orpah goes back to her family, Ruth chooses to go with Naomi to Bethlehem. Although that would mean that in doing so, Ruth would be a poor woman, stranger in a foreign place, living a life of poverty on top of having to feed her mother-in-law too. She commits to staying with Naomi, saying, where you go, I'll go, and wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Although Naomi has lost hope, we know that Ruth has put her hope in God by that statement. And finally, there's Boaz, the son of Rahab, who has been raised as a believer in God, and he is actually related to Naomi through her late husband. 
And he's a wealthy landowner with workers to harvest his barley fields. He is also a man of integrity and wisdom and compassion and kindness and faith. So we begin our scripture reading for today in Ruth chapter 2, and I'm going to start with verses 1 through 13. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseers of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And wherever, whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland, and you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's stop here and let's just take a note of a few things. Ruth knows her place, which is with the poor and the unseen, but yet notice that Ruth still takes initiative to make sure that she is taking care of herself and Naomi by finding a place, a safe place where she can join others who are poor and widowed to pick up what is left over after the workers have harvested the best of the crop. This is her life now. Ruth has left everything to follow and care for Naomi. And this is probably a scary time of unknowns. Naomi is of little help right now in her state of just kind of detaching and checking out from life. And yet we see that Naomi has not completely walked away from the table. Naomi is still able to affirm and recognize the enormity of Ruth's decision to stay and to care for her, to let her be in her place of grief. This is something you'd expect from family. And Naomi recognizes this and calls Ruth daughter, bestowing her blessing on Ruth to go and seek provision for them. It doesn't take long for Boaz to notice Ruth and find out all that she has been and continues to do for Naomi. He too embraces her 
into his family, although she is a stranger to him, calling her my daughter and making special arrangements for her to provide her and Naomi with food, as well as being kept safe in the process. Because Boaz is a man of God, he is observing God's command in Deuteronomy, where Moses had told the Israelites to be obedient to the covenant laws, which included taking care of orphans, widows, and foreigners. Boaz was already doing this, but he pays particular attention to Ruth, watching out for her welfare. And also Naomi's, because he has heard about this amazing loyalty that has been extended from Ruth to Naomi. And although Ruth and Boaz eventually end up marrying each other, right, if you know the story, um, at this time, the relationship being built was not about romantic husband and wife love, but one of kindness and care, knowing her character and her circumstances. Now, the only thing that Ruth seemed to know about Boaz was that he was wealthy and he was very well respected. He was also kind to take notice of her situation. She has no idea at this time that he's related to Naomi's husband. So the favor that he shows to Ruth is unsurpassed any that she has ever received. Yet it's the same favor that Ruth has offered to her mother-in-law. The relationship between Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and Ruth are characterized by loving kindness, mercy, loyalty, overflowing. This is Hesed. And what does Hesed mean? Well, let's finish the rest of the scripture passage to get a better idea of this mysterious, undefinable word. We are now literally at the table, okay? We're at the table in the scripture, and God is hosting, remember, through Boaz as he invites Ruth to dine with him and his field workers. So this is verse 14 through 23. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Invites her to the table, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an epoch. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz. She said, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. For Ruth to be at the table was a big deal as a woman, as a widow and a foreigner. And yet Boaz feeds her well. He offers her what he is eating and he provides for his workers as well. This is the kind of boss that you really wanna work for. He pays attention to those subordinate to him and he treats them well. 
He makes sure that Ruth is fed and he even has leftovers to take to Naomi. This act of kindness and generosity begins to offer hope to Naomi too, as she is also overwhelmed with this landowner's generosity, only to find out later when she tells Naomi about Boaz that he's related to her late husband. Naomi calls Boaz their guardian redeemer, or some versions call it kinsman redeemer. If you're curious, the next chapter in Ruth kind of fleshes out this more as Naomi takes steps to make sure that Ruth's future is in good hands, initiating a deeper relationship between Boaz and Ruth so that he will take Ruth as his wife and her future will be secured. While it doesn't exactly feel like the ideal circumstances to be set up by your parent, I don't think any of us would want that. It is revealing of Naomi finding healing and being able to join her community again. Ruth's merciful love shown to her has given her rest and renewed hope, has said. Now, taking a deeper look at my understanding is that Naomi would have had priority to Mary Bowes. And I read this. I don't know. Maybe we can talk about this later. Because since Naomi was married to her, her husband was the one that was related to Boaz, that really Naomi was in line to be able to marry Boaz, right? But instead, Naomi wants to see Boaz with Ruth and hopefully have children and continue the genealogy leading to the birth of Jesus. And that does happen later on. So this over-the-top merciful kindness from Ruth, from Boaz, and even from Naomi, how do we explain it? It's more than love. It's more than kindness. For this particular story, I have one main point today in your notes, and the table is set for said To extend and receive the above and beyond loving kindness of God. It's a hard word to define. The table is set for said to extend and receive the above and beyond loving kindness of God. said is a Hebrew word that is almost impossible to describe concisely and accurately. And if I had to paraphrase it, I'd say it describes a totality of qualities, namely the enduring mercy and the loyalty and the compassion and the love of God. Hesed goes further than social expectations and responsibilities and strong emotions or even what is deserved. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus, then you know that God's forgiveness through Jesus' sacrifice is rooted in said. God's heart is said and began with a promise, an agreement, a covenant with the Israelites first and then extended thereafter to all through Jesus Christ. said is about God's mercies. God didn't have to rescue us as sinners, but he did. Boaz didn't have to marry Ruth, but he knew the importance of her belonging and provision for her. Ruth didn't have to stay by Naomi's side, but she did, knowing the extended care and the provision that Naomi needed. Hesed is sacrificial in nature. Now, if you're thinking this sounds a lot like agape love, that's understandable. The distinction here is that agape is a Greek word, and it describes 
the love that God has for humanity in general. Agape love describes God who loves us so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, so that we would be saved and have everlasting life. John 3.16 Agape is the highest possible love. Said, however, has a narrower meaning. It is a love that is promised because of a relationship or a covenant with someone. And ultimately, though, both agape and hesed, they are rooted in God's heart for each one of us. I'm looking out and I see all these faces that are like, huh? A little confusing, right? Okay. All right. Well, um, talk to me after. <laughs> or talk to Pastor Rebecca after. I'm still in seminary. <laughs> so, okay. Thanks for your, thank you for being patient. Um, in fact, did you notice, okay, in this story that um, Ruth and, in the story about Ruth and Boaz, with Boaz's above and beyond merciful loving kindness, it foreshadows Jesus' way of inviting the stranger, the poor, the orphaned, and the widow, the marginal, marginalized, the lost, the forgotten, the last person that you would expect. Everyone is invited into a relationship with him. And prior to Jesus' arrival, though, we can look at Boaz as a human representation and a conveyor of God's own loving kindness towards people, regardless. Just as Boaz is a kinsman redeemer of Ruth, Jesus too is our kinsman redeemer. Hesed came from God's heart, but it can be expressed between us as with Boaz and Rachel and Rachel and Naomi. Okay, I'm gonna ask you again, is this kind of making more sense to you? Just not for me, okay? <laughs> it is a mysterious, abstract, indescribable, and amazing concept. It's benevolence that involves ongoing committed relationship. And during COVID, TJ had talked about we have a benevolence fund so that we could be prepared to respond to the needs of many who needed financial help in some way. And thanks to many of you, We've been able to help a lot of families, churches, and other charitable organizations who needed help. Yet those wouldn't necessarily be said in that they are often these one-time, maybe purpose-driven gifts that we're giving. said is taking additional intentional steps in relationship to offer something significant and that feels somewhat sacrificial to provide, to restore, to renew somebody's life in the hopes that they will experience the love and the blessing of God. This is what God committed to with the Israelites, to help them grow into more of his likeness and eventually Jesus's likeness. The story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi are about three people who extend hesed and also are recipients of hesed as believers of God and in relationship with one another. Who in this story do you relate to the most? Is it Ruth? Is it Naomi? Is it Boaz? Maybe it's one of the field workers. More importantly, friends, how open are you to extend hesed to others or to receive hesed? from others. 
And I think today, as we go to Nathan Kohashi's house to help him move, Nathan has been a, a really special part of our community for years. And some of us have really special relationships, and he's been a chaplain at Polymomi, and he has ministered to many of us as Chaplain Kohashi. And I say to you, we're going over to his house today to help him move, and, to, and it's a lot of work. Um, but then he's going to be transitioning to the plaza. And I would just invite you and encourage you to think about this word, said what it means. Because after today, it doesn't end. It doesn't end you continuing to pour out your love and to be there for Nathan. Right? It's the Plaza Kaneohe. Let him get settled. Um, yeah, visit him. Be there. Ask him what he needs. Be his friend. As he's been a friend to each one of us in his moments. So I'm going to kind of end my part here and just tell you a little bit of a story. And then I'm going to ask um, someone dear to me to come up and share. But about 20 years ago, I met a young woman who had just graduated from college. And she was coming to Hawaii to visit friends. Um, she was with Campus Crusade. Um, from LA. And she came to visit friends at the church I was attending back then that shall remain nameless for obvious reasons, if you know about church hurt. And at the time, I was married to my first husband and my two children, and they were very young, my children. Um, I had just given my testimony in church about working through the effects of being sexually abused by my orthopedic surgeon and working through my relationship with my dad that had always been really difficult. So I have a photo here, um, and there's this young woman that heard my testimony, and I'd never met her before. Her name is Jamie, <laughs> and out of the blue, I got an email from her because something about my testimony had stirred her, reached her. Gosh, we look so young. <laughs> Now, this is before pastoral ministry, but let me tell you, this is a lot out of my comfort zone before we met and to get an email from someone I didn't know and to kind of decide I'm going to respond, I'm going to correspond. And we began to email and talk, and eventually she even came to stay with my family and became a part of my family, a big brother to my kids, sorry, sister a big sister to my kids, and a Hanai daughter to me. This morning, Jamie, my Hanai daughter, is here with us visiting with her 14-month-old, soon-to-be adopted son. And let's keep them in prayer for this adoption to happen seamlessly and very soon. But um, this is Jamie with her, her little boy. And my journey with Jamie was one that grew from Hesed. I was moved by her story. But most of all, I was moved by who she is and how much she fought for a very deep relationship with God. This time around, she had told me when she came to Hawaii, she wanted me to preach. And that's why I'm here. I'm signed up for two weeks in a row. Oh, my gosh. What am I doing? I was really signed up for last week. And I'm like, okay, I'll do another week. So she wanted me to preach, so I'm here. But what she wasn't expecting was for me to ask her to please come and share what God has been doing in her life as she extends has said now to a beautiful baby boy. So, Jamie, my daughter, welcome. 
Um, well, it's good to be with you guys. If you're wondering if it's weird when somebody talks about you when you're sitting there, the answer is yes, okay? Um, I sometimes will tune in, I'm like, okay, it's, I, I'm not there, so it's like fine, but when you're sitting there and they're talking about you, you're like, okay, I can leave now. Um, but it is good to be with you guys. I definitely did not um, anticipate that this is what I would be doing um, on a Sunday while I'm visiting, but um, nonetheless, I think it's, for you guys to know, it's really an honor and a privilege to get to share a little bit of my story. Um, so like she said, um, I, I've been living in Southern California. I was born and raised there, served with Crusade. Um, I was out here for six years serving at UH Manoa um, and moved back um, in 2016. And I, I love what I get to do. Um, I love that I get to be a part of investing and shepherding and shaping college students where they are and helping them prepare for the future. Um, and so when you guys talk about having a seat at the table, and Jesus being the host, I think there's something that's really um, deeply relatable for me in the sense that that's what our heart and our desire is for our students, um, it, just like it is for your church. And so for us, for me, um, it's giving every student that we come across on college campuses a seat at the table to bring their questions, to bring their identity, to bring their doubts, their struggles, their uncertainties, um, their stories to the table. And I think one of the things that I've been learning is how um, our stories are so intertwined with God's stories. Um, so when you think about like an artist or a painter, a sculptor, um, there's times where you can take a step back and you deeply, deeply admire the work and the design and the details and the beauty and sometimes even the imperfections. Um, but when you look at that, um, I think what's really cool about that is the work is so intricately tied to the one who has created that masterpiece. Um, and so to know the story behind each person, each piece, what it does is it gives us a deeper appreciation and awe for the one who's made it. Um, and I think as I think about my story and I think about the stories of my students um, and even now my son, um, I think our stories testify to the one who has written them before time began. And that's what's really cool about it. So when we look at scripture, it's it's filled with stories of ordinary men and women whose stories are so intricately intertwined with the bigger story of God. And so over the last 42 years of my life, um, as I continue to grow and gain perspective, Thankfully, I am not the same person I was 20 years ago. God has uh, worked in my life, but when I think about the fingerprints that have been stamped into my story, um, I really wouldn't be standing in front of you guys doing what I'm doing without um, the loving kindness that we're talking about this morning, both from, I think, obviously, number one, God, but also the people in the community that have been around me. Um, and so just like it's been mentioned, I think the table that we're talking about, it's both this... Um, extending but it's also receiving and i think that's what i want to share with you guys this morning and so um i'll just there's so many things i could share about my life but i'll just share this 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 season that i'm in now um i felt like my story has been so intertwined with god's story and his grace and kindness um and it's really beginning to let me experience this firsthand in a way that i never thought i would before so before i joined staff i used to teach elementary school and middle school um, and I remember being as a teacher, I taught next to my roommate at that time, and we would go back and forth to each other's rooms talking about our students and kind of laughing at some of the things they would say or being like, oh my gosh, can you believe this kid or whatever. And then there were moments we'd go home and we'd process about some of the kids in our class. And in our classroom, we would have these foster kids. And we, our hearts were so just... Um, 
uh, they just were so drawn to them, I think, because we saw the pain and the trauma. We saw that their desires were just to be loved. Um, and so these were the kids that would come into our classroom and ask if we could hang out for lunch or stay after school and just be with us. And so I think at that time, I was like, okay, one day, um, this is what I want to do. I want to foster. I want to adopt. I want to be a part of providing a home and safety and shelter for kids that don't have it. And so I was pretty young at that time. I was probably in my early 20s. I was still single. Um, I still felt like I had a lot to live. And so in my head, I anticipated it just being this like one day type thing. So fast forward, I, I, I left my job, joined staff with crew, raised support, and then came out here. Um, and I was out here and I was doing ministry. It was my life. I really enjoyed it. And in 2016, the Lord had called me back to California. So I moved back. And through the power of prayer and God's provisions and has said really through generous friends and donors, um, I was able to buy a home in 2018. Um, it's not like it is out here, but it's still pretty hard. So to buy a home as a single person in California um, is, is for sure um, a, a testimony to God's provisions. Um, by being able to purchase a home, it gave me the opportunity to move more seriously from just this idea of fostering to really becoming more serious about the process and what it looked like to start. And so I started the process um, right before COVID started. And so um, once COVID started though, it like everything kicked into high gear and everything got delayed and it took me about a year and a half to get processed. And then on top of that, in 2020, September, I was diagnosed with leukemia. And so that kind of was unexpected in this whole thing of like, okay, what is the Lord doing in my life? But I knew that my prognosis would be good or favorable. And I felt like this is still something that God was asking me to trust him in. And so um, I, I just, just one step at a time, right? Continue to walk in faith and trust that the Lord was going to do what he was going to do. So in August of 2022, um, after a couple phone calls from the, the agencies and from the state, I was able to bring home this little boy. Um, he was six weeks old at the time. I had no idea what I was doing. They literally called me at 10 o'clock and he showed up at my door at 6 p.m. And I was like, I have nothing. Like my cousins and sisters and I, we ran to Target. We bought diapers, bottles, formula. Like I had no clue what I was doing. Um, I will also say, this is just to plug your benevolence fund, which she didn't ask me to do, but my church, uh, we have a foster care ministry and I texted our foster care coordinator and I said, hey, I'm getting a baby this afternoon. Like I don't have a crib and I don't have a car seat. Those are kind of the two big things I need. Everything else I can go get. And within 12 hours, the church came through. I had a brand new crib shipped to my door and I had a brand new uh, stroller and car seat at my front door. Um, and so I'm just saying the things that you guys give to matters because it really blesses people like me. So um, he came home at six o'clock that night. And again, I sat there and I held this baby in my arms. I was like, okay. I don't know what to do with him. I just know I got to keep him alive at this point, right? So I held him and I just like, my one of my close friends was over because she's a mom of three and she was like, okay, let me help you. And I was like, okay, please, I don't know. Um, but I remember holding him and I looked at him and I knew at that moment that my life had changed. Um, I'd sit and oftentimes watch him sleep and moment, moment after I think about his life and his story and what God had for him, I knew that there was going to be a significant impact of my story on him and his story on mine and ultimately God's story on both of us. And the story isn't done, but the invitation to the table has been so much more than pulling out a chair, or in my case, a proverbial high chair, and bringing someone in. It's been about getting a bigger picture of who God is. And that's been the key of all of this. And I know this sounds cliche, and you probably hear it all the time, but really this boy has changed my life. Um, you can see him later without a heart over his face because he's in the nursery, but he's pretty darn cute. Um, 
But let me share two things with you. Oh, I could tell you guys stories, but anyways, let me share two things that you have gleaned in the giving and receiving and inviting someone to the table. The first is this, there's simply delight. Um, when you can bring someone to the table, there's delight that you will experience. And so early on, and even now, I find myself just sitting and watching him, especially when he sleeps. So now, staying with them, an Uncle Nathan and my mom, I will put him to bed, and he has his monitor. And I'll turn around, and I'm like, the monitor's gone. Where is it? Uncle Nathan will have it on his little nightstand, and he'll just watch him. And I'm like, that's how I feel. Because you could just sit there and watch him because it brings you such delight. Um, when I look at his face, I know in that moment there's nothing that he can do that's going to make me love him more, love him less, um, but that just being able to stare at him and give thanks for his life. There's such delight in that. And I think we can experience that when we invite people to the table. Um, I had this realization a while ago, and even now I go, oh my gosh, like his whole survival is dependent on me, right? Like if I don't feed him, if I don't change him, if I don't put him to sleep, um, he's not going to make it. And there's a lot, there's a lot there. And at the same time, um, there's nothing greater for those of you guys that are parents, there's nothing greater than delighting in the simple fact that I just get to sit back and watch him grow. Um, and my delight comes from his simple dependence on me and just being with me. And I think what that's done for me is help me understand like that's God's heart for me and God's heart for my students that he just delights in being with them. The second thing, um, and I'm almost done, I promise, but the second thing I've been learning in this season of motherhood is that giving a seat at the table brings healing and wholeness. Um, when I look at him, um, the reality is that love is like a crazy thing. And we were talking about this a little bit in preparation of like, we can love tacos and we can love our family. Like, what does this word love actually mean, right? Um, but like, the reality for me is like, I did not grow him in my belly. Um, I didn't give birth to him, thank the Lord. Um, he came to me as a stranger. Hey, birthing is a beautiful thing. It's just not for me, okay? But um, he has no tie to me biologically. Um, but what I can tell you is that there's a deep, deep, deep love for this kid. Um, a lot of times we'll be walking out, we get stopped all the time. People will be like, oh my gosh, your son's so cute. And I'm like, I know he is, right? Because I don't, rem like in my mind, it's like, well, I didn't have anything to do with that. But then I have to remember, people are probably like, oh, you're really conceited because you say that. But I, can't. but I do, I'm like, he is really cute, you know? But I didn't have anything to do with it. So I could say that. Um, but he, he's really changed me and he's brought healing and wholeness to my life. And I think I know that I'm bringing a piece of that to him as well. Um, and so to take these things and see the deep, deep love of Christ for me has been profound. To walk in faith, to step out, to invite someone, it's changed me more than I think it's changed him. Um, so when we give time to give intentional thought and pursuit to the things of God, the gift of Hesed is really both given and received. And I'll end with this. Um, this season for me, I've been sitting in Matthew 6, right? So Pastor Rebecca's led us through the Lord's Prayer, specifically in verse 10, where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The call and invitation for us is now. Um, I think that's what I've been learning, especially in this time, is that it's, it's, it's now and not just for the one day when heaven comes right? It's, it's here on earth as it is in heaven. On earth, we have a chance to participate here and now. And so by being at the table, inviting others to sit with us, what we get is a glimpse of God's heart um, for the on, on earth as it is in heaven. So thanks for sharing with me. Um, hopefully you guys will get to meet him, but um, it's really a blessing to be with you guys. So thank you guys. Okay, now do you get what has said is? That's the illustration. Um, next time, why don't you just preach? 
Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, this is us at Disneyland and we had a good time when we went just this past year. So thank you, Jamie. Thank you for sharing your table of Hesed with us today through your story. And friends, I ask you, has there been a time when you have extended or received Hesed? How did you experience God's love in that process? How are you changed? We see from Jamie's story that as we give, but also as we receive Hesed, God is working to bless and to change our lives for the better, to heal. What about this story encourages you the most about the above and beyond loving kindness of God? I encourage you to read the whole book of Ruth. What is holding you back from extending God's merciful above and beyond loving kindness to someone who needs to know the love of God through you? Let's pray. God of mercy and loving kindness, God who hears and sees and knows all. Thank you for being has said to us so that we might know and experience your love. And by your example, for sacrificing your son Jesus, all of this, so that we would know the power of your unfailing love, that we would experience your presence through those who offer has said to us, and as we extend it to them. Father, I pray that we would remember your above and beyond loving kindness as we go about our day, our week, our lives. I pray that you would bring opportunities, people, relationships, and resources, that we could be generous in our care and provision and merciful love towards others. Thank you that Ruth and Boaz and Naomi offer life lessons on how wonderful and wide your love is for all people all of the time. Because of your said and your agape love, we receive your mercy and grace always. Thank you for loving us like no other. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you, we pray these things, and we lift up our love to you. Amen. <laughs>